0: Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Darrell Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is an African American life. And my guest is Millicie Pipkin. Who um, brings all kinds of credentials to this to this operation today? First of all, she's an intern at the Hendricks Center. She's Yay. wrapping up her internship at the Hendricks Center um, this semester, and has been on campus how long?
2: It's been about six years. Okay. I Took a leave of absence for one year, but yeah. No, you well, yeah. That, <laughs> it's a t- it's a typical story. It is. So,
1: um, yeah, and then, uh, but we're we're gonna discuss. Her life, which has a lot of twists and turns in it, yes. and a part of it, we've gotten to know Millicie at the center. And one of our goals in uh, in the podcast is to help um, humanize various spaces, and by which I mean, um, in a lot of the theoretical discussions that go on and the debates that happen, sometimes it's worth it to put a face or a name. Of someone you know or are familiar with uh, to the space to help understand kind of the dynamics of what's going on, so that's kind of our intention here, um, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna start in the middle of your story and then we're gonna go back. Okay. And let's talk about your professional life a little bit. Uh, tell us um, once you uh, w- once you emerged into the labor. Force, mm-hmm. okay. Which I understand. Sixteen. Did you have a job before you were sixteen at PBS? Or was
2: I that? didn't. That was my very it's, first it's job. Your
1: first job. Okay. Yes. So. So you began working as a broadcaster, and th- there's an irony here that C., um texted me on today when we were getting ready to film, and that is I'm used to being on the other side of the <laughs> microphone. I'm used to asking the questions, not answering them. That's right. So, so I promise to be merciful. Thank you. Okay. Um, and, uh, but let's talk about uh, you ended up at PBS. Now, it strikes me as already unusual that you would choose a job uh, with the Public Broadcasting Service. So how did that happen?
2: It's so interesting because, um, Dr. Bach, I was a 16-year-old kid mm-hmm. who had just transferred in from North Carolina to Alabama schools in mm-hmm. Mobile. Mm-hmm. And um, because I was already ready to graduate at that point with my um, all of the required courses, I was just taking ele- electives at that point. So one of the electives was a television broadcasting class. Mm. And what happened was one of the instructors decided to utilize me as talent, so he had the Mobile County Public School System open up an opportunity for me, and I actually worked for the Mobile County Public School System, producing 30- and 60-second spots promoting the schools. And I was doing that with my product being aired on public broadcasting at 16 years old. That's amazing. So um,
1: (laughs) it's already an interesting start to the story. Um, But let me ask you, this is a technical question for people who aren't familiar with broadcasting. I mean, they know who the anchor is, and they know that there are cameramen that allow them to see what's in front of them, uh, and that there might be a director who's directing the shots. Mm -hmm. But what does a producer do?
2: Well, the producer is the person who's behind the scenes, who's gathering information, coming up with uh, storylines and ideas, and then they go out and they put the show together. Um, And so for me, what that looked like as a high school student um, going up through my career is I actually started out going out looking for story ideas, putting them together, writing, basically being a reporter in high school. And so that parlayed me into broadcasting because a local television station hired me right out of high school. I ran the cameras for the 6 and 10 o'clock news for one of the uh, television stations, and after doing that, I was able to go into radio. And from there, and I'm just really skipping some hoops to get us to where we want to be. Okay. Um, I did uh, radio for a local radio station, Urban Contempt, number one in the market. Mm-hmm. I became their news director. I uh, began to produce my own talk show on mm-hmm. the AM side, and it was called The Sunday Magazine. Okay. And then that parlayed me into a television program called The Sunday Magazine for the Fox Station. So I've had a very unusual Path in broadcasting that it's evident when you look back over my life, you see nothing but the footprints and the fingerprints of God.
1: Interesting. So, um, how common is it for people to be moving, uh, for lack of a better description, across formats, across platforms? I mean, um, I'm familiar with people who. Start in radio and stay in radio. Stay in television. Start in television and stay in television. But it sounds like you kind of hopped and skipped around. Is that is that fair?
2: It did. And you know something, we would be remiss if we didn't zoom in and focus on this. Mm-hmm. Um, this was not a usual path for people to, to take or make in mm-hmm. life. Uh, and it came with a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told when I wanted to go into television that I didn't have a degree, mm-hmm. so I didn't have the credentials. Uh, when I, in fact, saw others who were able to do that, they just didn't look like me. They looked more like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I set out to make education a very important part of my factor in going forward in broadcasting. I did get into radio and even in that, there was a challenge because I was told working for the Urban Contempt that I couldn't have my name, Millicie on air. Mm-hmm. And so that led to me having to come up with a name to be on air that white people could remember. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, Millicie, I'm going to go on the air and I'll be Millicie." No, you can't. That's hard. White people won't remember that is what that program director told me. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what about CC? That's a nickname. He said, nope, there's already a CC at another station, you'll just confuse views viewers and listeners. And I said, "Well, that's that just pretty le- much leaves me out. I don't know another name to use." He said, "Just go up a letter in the alphabet. Didi. I said, "That's going to sound dingy." And when you're <laughs> when you're a pretty person, you yeah, don't want to yeah. sound ding- come off dingy right, to people. Right. I, I'm not being facetious yeah, or, or yeah. boastful, but I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he said, Didi. And I said, "Well, I don't like that." He said, Didi will be sharp." Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll do it if I can be Dee Dee Sharp. Mm -hmm. So Dee Dee Sharp became an air personality for radio, and then that person was able to make some moves by the grace of God to do television. So my point is, it's unusual to go from 16 years old doing PBS Mm -hmm. to behind the scenes doing local television to behind the microphone doing radio at 18, 19 years old. Back to doing television at 2021. Those things are unusual paths for broadcasting. Anybody in it would tell you that would be
1: very unusual. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. So, so you had this, for lack of a better description, this other persona that was created for you, um, really to assimilate you to um, the larger cultural context, et cetera, and uh, and that became part of part of part of who you were. Um, uh, behind this interview, by the way, just to let people know, is uh, Milici has written a biography that we are working to try and get published. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's an interesting – I mean, it is her life story, and, and the, her life story is interesting. This is why we're doing the podcast as well. And so um, the premise of the book is you are these two personalities. Um, and you were constantly going between who you were as the broadcast person, which was a pretty I'll, – I'll characterize it as pretty stable-looking. Straightforward, you know, person who who anchors on television, and then there was the reality of what was going on in your life, which Behind was the which was a completely different uh, mm-hmm. story, um, almost a almost a schizophrenic kind of story. So yes. we'll get into the details, of course, as we move along. So you ended up, you ended up, um, I, if I remember correctly, you had another job, not just not in broadcasting that you also were doing. Were you doing that alongside the Brian Were you doing two jobs at once,
2: or was this a separate job? Are we talking had? about Aware the Television yeah. Show? Yeah. Yes. Um, eventually, I had an opportunity to meet – this is an interesting story – I had an opportunity to meet the reigning Miss America when Debbie uh, Turner took over for um, um the other I forget her name now uh-huh. but everybody knows the story uh-huh. and so when I went to go meet Debbie and to do an interview with her for the radio station um, Uh, I met the producer who was getting ready to launch this television show called Aware Mm. in Pensacola, Mm -hmm. which was about 60 miles down the road from Mobile. So I auditioned along with about 50, 60 other people and was chosen to do this show called Mm -hmm. Aware with Dee Dee Sharp. Mm -hmm. And so through a series of events, I ended up uh, producing, helping to produce, and actually serving as talent for that show for 30 years. We just wrapped that show up a few years ago, and it's in uh, what we call reruns. Mm -hmm. But yes, that's so what was happening is in my television career, as I became a news anchor and a news reporter, I would fly back to Pensacola once a month. And work on. So the, you were
1: doing Mobile and Pensacola at the same
2: time at the beginning. At the, okay. but as my as my television broadcasting career launched itself, mm-hmm. and I would end up in markets like Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Columbia, South Carolina, um, Charleston, South Carolina, even Montgomery, Alabama. I would fly in to Pensacola once a month, so it was like having a full time broadcasting job and a part time podca- up. Uh, 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 Full time broadcasting job and a full and a part time broadcasting job. I'm confusing myself.
1: You're two people in one body already. (laughs) Which one is talking? Exactly right. So, so, um, I seem to remember and I may remember this incorrectly that you also worked for the police department or whatever. Am I right about that? Yes. So, how does, I mean, you already sound busy. Okay. (laughs) So, how does, how does that? flow into the mix.
2: What would actually happen, as anyone in broadcasting, and you have Mm -hmm. had some background in this, is if your contracts aren't renewed to stay at the television stations, then you need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And as a single parent by then with two children, I had gotten to the point where maybe they just needed some stability. Mm -hmm. So when the ABC station in Montgomery went bust Mm -hmm. and laid everybody off, I found myself in a situation where I was unemployed and had just bought a brand new home to stabilize my kids. Mm. By the grace of God, the um, governor at that time, Governor Don Sigelman, his office called and they said if there was anything they could do, they would help. And so I said, well, I I just need to look for a job opportunity. And so I got an opportunity to actually work for the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, John Knight, Mm -hmm. as his representative for public relations. I also got an opportunity to work for the governor as the Alabama Department of Public Safety's public representative. Mm -hmm. And I've also been public representative for the Mobile County Personnel Board under a number of jurisdictions, serving as their mouthpiece.
1: So this was between, I'm just trying to, we haven't followed a chronological sequence here. This was between the job that you had in Mobile at ABC, I take it, and. The pickup at PBS. Am I right about that? What or? was
2: what was happening was mm-hmm. is as I started from the PBS station and was able to progress and then go to the radio station, become DD, begin to get my own TV show, begin to um, report and anchor for various television stations up and down the East Coast. When I would find myself unemployed, I would have the opportunity to do. Public relations work because I knew how to speak on both sides of the microphone. I see. So that's how this would parlay. So, so
1: you were so, so you were doing two jobs at once at that point because you still had the PBS thing that was rolling in the back. I was, and you were going back and. Forth. I was still. So you were two people living in two cities. Yes. With two jobs. Yes. It gets very confusing. Very
2: confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Raising two children. Raising two children. Oh wow. Yes.
1: Yeah, as a single mom. Wow. Yes. Okay. So so I, I just wanted to make your professional career clear. So you're at PBS how long?
2: I was with PBS altogether probably over 40 years mm. of my life, most of my life because mm. I started at 16, mm-hmm. and I don't mind telling anyone I'm 54 by the grace of God now. <laughs> and so most of my life has been spent um, on public broadcasting, and that's educating people and making them aware. And how ironic now that God has me here at Dallas Theological Seminary earning a master's degree in education, Mm -hmm. where again, I'll be making people aware Uh
3: of God.
2: (laughs) So on one hand, I was telling the news of the world. And the Lord has provided an opportunity now for me to tell the good news of the kingdom, and I thank God for that.
1: That's great.
2: So there's been a lot of dysfunction in between. (laughs) Well, well, we're we're, we're
1: almost headed there. I'm I'm just trying to paint the sure paint the picture. So you've been when did you when did your time at PBS end? What year was that?
2: Um, I officially left my television show in 2020. Okay, I was replaced. Okay, they loved the show, Uh but it was time for them. I guess in some regards to change the host. Um, In that time, I've had a really horrible car accident, Uh and I know we'll get to that. But that may or may not have had something to do with it as well in that I did suffer um, a brain injury, Uh TBI. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by the same token, I have not been able to do what I used to be able to do well. Hmm. And so in some regards, it's sad to see the show. Go mm-hmm. as far as right. aware with DD Sharp. Right. But I'm glad to see the show go on aware with whoever the new host is.
1: I see. So it was actually relatively recently then that you yes. did this. So, um, so uh, I, this is a question I haven't asked you before. Um, so when did you move to Dallas?
2: I moved to Dallas about, this is uh, 2022 in this interview. I yeah. moved here in about. Four or five years ago, about five years ago, okay. with my husband. I met my husband in my apartment complex. Uh-huh. Um, he was a wounded soldier yep. of 34 years he's in the character. military. He's a, a big character.
3: Yeah, Roy yeah. Pipkin
2: met him. He is a 34 year disabled veteran. Hmm. Kind of met him limping on one foot and couldn't walk on the other. Uh-huh. I cooked very well, so he couldn't run from, from <laughs> it. Um, fell in love and we got married. And um, long story short, he's from Louisiana uh-huh. and I'm from North Carolina. Okay. So. It was like, where do we go? Yeah. And he gave me the choice, Louisiana or Texas. And I was like, I'm definitely, I love Louisiana. I'm not knocking you, but Texas was was the way to, for me to go. But and it ended up being like all God divine plan for me to be here.
1: So, so just to take, keep the multiple city perspective in front of us, you had moved to Dallas, but you were still working for PBS yes. in Pensacola, That's Florida. Right. Okay, that's not Mobile to Pensacola, right? That's Dallas to Pensacola by plane.
2: There were days, Dr. Bach, when I would do a complete week as a news anchor, Mm -hmm. morning news, Mm -hmm. leave the TV station, catch a flight – fly to Pensacola and do my television show that night. Hmm. Get up the next morning, fly back to the to where I lived, pick my kids up from their nanny and go home and be mom for the rest of the weekend until it was time to go back to work. And
1: you were taking classes while
2: this was going I on? I earned a uh, a master's degree in human resources management.
3: Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, well I almost <laughs> want to take a commercial break and let everybody <laughs> just recover their strength, but um, Okay, so so that's kind of the core professional part of your story. Anything that we've left out of the professional part of this? You've
2: got it all. 30 okay. years as a news anchor reporter, 30 years with my own television talk show for PBS. Um, yes, two, second master's degree coming down the pipe. Now, one of the
1: reasons I wanted to do this is because I'm familiar with your entire story, including the way you grew up, et cetera. And, uh, and so we, we want to start there and, and work through that that part of your life, um, and, and in, in moving in this direction, I just want to say, in hearing your story, there, there, it, it, it's, it's amazing all the experiences that you've had in your life, and yet I also know from the African American contacts that I have, that the kind of story that you are about to tell is not that atypical of life as an African American woman in the South. This is true. So, so let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about your family and your early family life. And so, that's about your dad, mom, siblings. Yes. Um, Go for it.
2: Yes, and you know, again, I thank you, Dr. Bach, for um, your heart to know that there is a story behind a story that's for God's glory. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, with my life, it's been very, very, um, very difficult to function in the dysfunction of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off as a young girl just like everyone else with a mom and a dad. Um, my father and my parent, my, my parents uh, ended up divorcing. Um, my father ended up just kind of leaving off the scene, mm-hmm. uh, and there in the midst was my mother and four siblings. There was a lot of struggle in that. My father basically – I hate to say it because no one wants to dote on their father, but for the lack of any other word, we were abandoned. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom struggled to try to do what she could for us. My siblings ended up in foster homes, and I ended up with my grandmother and my great-grandmother.
1: So, So what that meant is, is that you had siblings who were cared for by other family members, and then you had siblings that were cared for by the state.
2: All four of my siblings ended up with the state. I was the only one who ended up with my grandparents, my great grandmother and my grandmother.
1: Okay, and the divorce took place. How were you when the divorce happened?
2: I was about five, six. Okay, so
1: so most of your childhood was spent without a dad. That's correct. Yeah, Um, and you said abandoned. I mean, did he? I mean, did he totally
2: disappear, basically, or? No one knew where my father was. Hmm. We did not. My mom did not talk about him much. She struggled with trying to. At that time, she said, uh, "Get the military to help her with um, childcare and expenses and things like that." So for uh, for no other reason, we would have to believe that my father just really walked away, Interesting. And left my family. So
1: and and just the, you mentioned the military here. He was a, he. Was in the military himself, is that right? Yes. Um, so um, some of these questions sound like I'm a lawyer and got you on the stand. I don't mean that. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so. Um, so he came out of the military, and, and, and in the biography that you write, you talk about, for lack of a better description, kind of a- anger management issues that he had out of his own background that yes. contributed to the situation that led to the divorce. My uh,
2: parents did go, go through a lot of domestic violence, mm-hmm. and um, that was part of the issue. Um, and so at the end of the day, they ended up separating, and my father ended up going in another direction, which we didn't. Know where he was for years. Mm-hmm. That caused a split for my siblings and I. Um, my grandmothers, my great grandmother, and my grandmother maternally mm-hmm. raised just me as I knew my siblings were in foster care. Mm-hmm. I call these women in my book Gra- great grandma Moses and grandma Ruby.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's not their names, mm-hmm. right? I changed their names to protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're deceased, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the grace of God, they instilled in me the importance of education and um, and valuing things that I, at that point, had been left to caution, to the wind, to mm-hmm. whatever. Um, my siblings didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you'll read the story, and you'll see how they ended up um, being the ex- – basically what happens to a lot of African-American families when you end up in this system, when you don't have parents. Um, and they were there for two or three years. And so in some regard, I feel like I had an opportunity by the grace of God to go on with my life, even though there was a lot of dysfunction going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, people have to understand that when you don't have a very good base, base for a foundation, then you're going to be making decisions and coming up with rationales that someone who might have had some of those things won't understand They won't understand survival decisions. I I call them supersonic survival buttons that we Mm -hmm. push in our lives. Mm. You wouldn't understand that unless you had had my experience. Um, So my heart goes out to and I've dedicated the book to my three brothers who are still with us today. Mm. And uh, of course, my sister is deceased. Mm. we found out later that my father was alive and well hmm. and living with my stepmother,
3: hmm.
2: who had a child who was the same age of um, would date back to the same time that my parents would have been divorced. Hmm. In fact, uh, she probably was born about six months after my parents' divorce. oh wow. so I mean, that that caused some friction and some issues later in life. But at the time, it was just, um, coming to terms with we're being raised in a situation where we don't have what we need to be a family anymore. I don't want to say my father is all to blame for that because my mother, and you'll have to read the details mm-hmm. in the book, because I'm sure my mother had some, t- some some blame in this. But I'm saying my family suffered dearly as a result of divorce, uh, abandonment, neglect, And those things equate to abuse, Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to overcome some of those things. So,
1: what uh, uh, may sound like an odd question—I mean, you were so young when this happened, Um, and and you're actually dealing with multiple uh, multiple how I say it divestments. I mean, such a wrong word, but the point is, not only were you losing your uh, your family and your dad. But your siblings were being, were being divided up as well. Um, did you all, as you were growing up, ever get back together? I mean, what was that like? Or, or did you lose contact with siblings as well because of the way in which the, the, the parceling out of your, of your family took place?
2: We never got a chance to live as a family again Mm. as a result of that. Um, And you must understand, we were like typical children with a father in the military. Our father was our hero.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, You know, he came home, we took off his boots, you know, we looked up to him. He was taller than life. Um, He was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. Mm. My father was like, really the giant. Mm-hmm. And and when he was gone, when he left, it was like, who who is that person now? And so we didn't have that. And my mother was this sickling woman. She struggled with um, kidney stones, um, kidney failure. She was a very sickly person and mm-hmm. didn't have the wherewithal to raise five kids by herself. Mm-hmm. And so um, as my siblings ended up in the foster homes, four of them, an older sister who was about 16, and then we were like stepchildren coming down to mm-hmm. me um, till about five and six, when they were in those spaces and places, they weren't being loved. Mm-hmm. you know. And they will tell their own story about some of the abuses that they suffered in those spaces and those places. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult even now with some of the successes that I've experienced to look back. And I'm still faced with the hurt of having to see how they live now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only so much you can do to help your family or to um, instill them what may have worked for you because it may not work for them. And so I've had to deal with them looking at me and saying, well, you were lucky, and um, and that hurts mm-hmm. um, because I know I was blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it came with a lot of work. Mm-hmm. My story is one of racism. Mm-hmm. My story is one of sexism. Mm-hmm. It's one of overcoming abandonment mm-hmm. issues. It's one of over having to um, be a product of divorce and then being a person who is divorced.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's one of having to suffer through being a single parent, being homeless um, as a young girl, um, and you know, even down to. I say it like this: How can you tell a story about everybody else's woes and what they've done if you can't be honest with what you've done and the things that you've 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 done that weren't right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where we land as a teenager. I've got this situation where my father has remarried. I have um, been able to reconnect with him, uh, myself and one of my brothers. The other three siblings were at a foster home and living with my mother, but by then we had a chaotic situation. My sister was, um, for the lack of a better term, in the streets, as Mm -hmm. they used to call it. The streets were raising her Mm -hmm. along with my eldest brother. Mm -hmm. He ended up in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, She ended up getting killed later, Mm -hmm. Um, and my little brother ended up kind of struggling, never did get a GED or graduate from high school. So you just had me and the middle brother. And he and I kind of stuck together. We ended up with my father and my stepmother, and that was a very difficult thing too. Because you look at this young woman who married my father, mm-hmm. twenty years younger than him, mm-hmm. and yet she just inherited, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so that was a struggle. she could have been
1: a sister as opposed to she a could stepmom. Have been a,
2: she really, in fact, she and my sister were like two years difference. Oh wow! Yeah, and so it was very difficult to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her sticking up middle fingers um, um, behind my father's back and and just doing other little things that were were very childish Mm -hmm. um, and very hurtful to me as a young girl because I needed my father, Mm -hmm. and I needed her, um, especially in the wake of having lost the two grandmothers Mm -hmm. who had raised me. Mm -hmm. So the story is one of constant loss and constant divisions and constant confusion, and and, and like I said, you're just left to abandonment. Yeah, there's no
1: set location in your life.
2: Nothing like yeah, that, yeah. and so I end up in this situation where, as I'm in high school and these people are seeing things in me and allowing me to work for PBS and do all these other things behind the scenes, I'm going home and it's like terror mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm I'm the redheaded stepchild mm-hmm. with uh, three other siblings, younger siblings.
1: So it, it strikes me in listening to your story. I mean, I've read it and we've talked about it before, but it really, I'm, this is the kind of the first time we've sat down and talked through kind of the whole of it all at once. Um, it strikes me that your job, other than keeping you <laughs> quite busy and off the streets, uh, is all—is it, it, it? Was it a refuge? It was a refuge. Okay. Yes. Um, I mean, that's how it strikes me. This, this is, this is a world that's stable. That i and i i know what to expect from it yes that kind of thing
2: but even in that it was unstable you uh-huh. know broadcasting is a very unstable uh career so choice it was it was a
1: it was it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was relatively
2: stable yes.
3: yeah well
2: you know the thing about broadcasting for me personally is at least with that I could utilize my talents mm-hmm. in order to make a living mm-hmm. and then what happened is because even as a little girl pretending um that i was an on-air talent and, and you know and then having those things begin to evolve as a young teenager mm-hmm. and then into my adulthood it just became something that I could earn a living being a broadcaster being a news anchor being mm-hmm. a storyteller which I do very well and mm-hmm. you'll read that in the book mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll yeah, see that and in the it book. isn't
1: like uh, broadcasting is an easy easy space to to be employed in i mean it it is my understanding, i I started in very area competitive. Too. very it's competitive. <laughs> yes. it's um it's challenging because you're constantly being asked to look at um, areas for which you may or may not have background. You've got to turn it around pretty quickly. I mean, you don't get a chance.
2: Time is money
1: and unless deadlines. You, uh, yeah, deadlines, and you're constantly moving from one thing to the next. It isn't like you get to sit and ponder what it is you're going to do i mean you I, i've been interviewed many times where I, someone does the interview and said yeah i've got to go back to the studio and and wrap this up and you know there's just not much time i mean it's it, the time pressure is pretty intense but
2: when you look at all of those things and you haven't even hit on some of the others yeah, involved yeah. when you look at all of those things it's easy to get caught up when you go to work yeah. you don't have time to think about all that dysfunction it's going on it's distracting this job over here's got enough distractions going on yeah. and you don't have time for it, so yeah.
1: So in that sense, it's a refuge, and even yes. though it's a little bit unstable, mm-hmm. it it did give you a routine to be working on that pulled you out of the yes. trauma of your own of your own everyday life,
2: right? But it became its own personality. It be- hmm. it took on its own life, mm-hmm. if you will, and that life. I would never tell anyone that it was pretentious mm-hmm. because I don't think it was. Pre- it was very much me, mm-hmm. but it was a, an opportunity for me to to be and do a job that paid me well, and then still go home and try to deal with the off air and the behind the scenes uh, dysfunction in my life.
1: So you were. Uh, I'm going to use another metaphor that you can comment on, it may or may not be accurate. But it was almost like flipping a switch. You had you yes. had to, uh, you know. I'm here, I'm in this mode now, and then I go home and I'm in that mode, and, and you're constantly moving back and forth That's between right. the two. That's true. Yeah.
2: And that includes um, divorces. Mm-hmm. Um, when you don't have a stable life as a child, uh, you may or may not make good decisions for yourself going forward. I mean, um, I, I, I didn't have the equipment to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in a very physically abusive marriage that nearly took my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a, a survivor of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to get out of, out of that marriage, and I married again very quickly, about a year and a half before I could get divorced good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, when you marry, you marry for ever, right? Right. And here I found myself in a second marriage where it seemed as though that husband was still in love with his first wife. Mm. So I went from physical abuse to a sort of psychological abuse, Mm. and then I said, Lord, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I won't marry anymore until you show me who this man is. Mm -hmm. And that lasted about 18 years. And I'm reminded of the woman who was crooked, Uh uh, crooked over in the Bible Uh for 18 years. Uh She was sick and ill, Mm -hmm. and the Lord healed her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened kind of in my story of redemption with my husband now, because I wasn't married to those men. I'm married to this one. This is my husband. Well, God is a genius
0: storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Uh, you, uh, you know, the other thing that strikes me as you tell your story is uh, as you go through these various experiences. You're. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the chronology well enough to know when your when your family stopped being there to take care of you. How old your grandmother and great grandmother were when when they uh, were no longer, you know, parenting you or there for you. But uh, it certainly is the case with your siblings that none of you had any kind uh, of support. You were literally on your own. Literally, we
2: were on our own. Mm. My mom tried, but um, my mom worked and she tried to go to school to be a realtor and she really didn't succeed at any of those things. Mm. And so in her absence, my siblings were kind of left to their own. And you know, you don't leave children alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so some, uh, you know, read the book and Mm -hmm. you'll find that something happened there that caused them to go into the foster homes. Mm. And so anyway, the long story short of it is, is that they ended up and I ended up in a situation where dysfunction reigned,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it reigned in my life for years until the Lord—I um, I call them heaven on earth exper- experiences, mm-hmm. supernatural encounters with the
3: Lord—who
2: yeah. allowed me to turn my life around by the grace of of God and. Um, and, and as they say, put my feet on solid ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm here in seminary now. <laughs> yeah.
1: So let's let, let's let's walk through uh, some of this. Um, you were I'm going to go back to your I think we've got you up to your college years. We've done your professional life and we've done your childhood. Let's walk through your college years as you' and and as you noted, you started working at 16. So you're going to college and working at at the broadcast station at the same time.
2: That's right. I didn't do it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I got accepted to the U- University of South Alabama mm-hmm. where I thought I wanted to be a nurse or mm-hmm. a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I really wanted to do television. Mm-hmm. To, uh, television was just a job. It was an opportunity. And so I worked at the local television station, um, the NBC affiliate. Um, full-time, running cameras for the 6 and 10 news, and I went to school from 8 to 12 and worked at the television station from 2 until 10.30 at night when they said goodnight, everybody. Oh, wow. And then I took the radio job, and I worked from midnight until 6 a.m., and I was DD Sharp on the air in the quiet moments of the night. And so there were weeks and months of literally no sleep, mm-hmm. failing classes. Um, how I did it, why I even tried, I'll never know. I just think I thought I needed because the television station wouldn't hire me as an on air talent. Mm-hmm. I thought I needed the radio thing to become a good on air talent, and I needed school in order to advance. And so I had all these things going at me at the same time and wasn't doing any of them really well. Interesting.
1: <laughs> so, um, are you single during this time, or what, what's happening through that? through that element of your life?
2: I was, some, through some of that, I was single. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met my um, first um, husband, mm-hmm. and um, he was in the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. and I was struggling. I had had a car accident with one of my vehicle with a car, and I didn't have insurance. Mm. And so they were suing me garnishing my wages, Mm -hmm. and I had to take on a part-time job. Mm. I know people said, I don't believe one person could go through all of this, (laughs) but I promise you, this is my life. So I had to take another part-time job working Mm. at Big B Drugs, Mm. if you knew what that was, working at a a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And so I was working – the job at the television station, and I was working at uh, the uh, job at the radio station. I quit school and began another job at Big B Drugs just to to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy, and um, he came up and he was like, "Hey, you know what? Um, I love you. If you marry me, I will put you through school with the military. And when you get through school, you can put me through school, and then we'll get a divorce." Mm-hmm. And at the time with the struggling of being um, homeless in my car at times uh, before I got some of these jobs and opportunities and before I could get some of the money and and make ends meet. And then when I would lose the money from being garnished and didn't have the money and was sleeping on the floor and Mm -hmm. things like this, marrying someone who was in the military seemed like a pretty good idea Mm -hmm. at the time. So I call it a pact. Mm -hmm. It was a marital pact. Hmm. I didn't love him. Mm-hmm. I made it very clear in fact, standing before the justice of the peace, I was crying hmm. saying I don't love him and I don't want to marry him um, but you know with when you don't have God in your life, you make decisions that are not godly
1: so it was a search for a kind of stability it was. Hmm.
2: And so that marriage didn't last, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, about four and a half years of physical abuse and divorce. Mm. And out of that was born a child, mm-hmm. a, a little girl, um, who's now a grown woman mm-hmm. and has her own kids. Um, and so that was in and of itself a struggle because I never been a parent before and I didn't know how to do do it by myself. Uh, married the second man in my life about a year and a half after I divorced the, the first guy and thought I was in love again. Um and yeah, through a series of events, found out that he was – or it seemed that he was still in love with his first wife. Mm. Through that, another child was born, my mm. son. Mm. And so I decided, you know what, I think I can raise these two kids by myself. Mm. And so for 18 years, I was just a single mother. I worked the two jobs, Aware, in Pensacola, and I worked full-time as a news anchor Wherever that job led me Hmm. by contract. Hmm. And that's why I mentioned some of those markets Mm -hmm. Charlotte, Columbia, Charleston, um, Mobile, Montgomery, Alabama. And so that was how I made a living for them and how I made a living for myself. So
1: the Pensacola thing was pretty consistent, but everything else was inconsistent. Very much so. Interesting. Very interesting.
3: And
2: throughout all of this time of flying back and forth over some of the weekends and doing the Pensacola show called Aware with DD Sharp and then going and being on the air as a news anchor as DD Sharp and all of this stuff that was going on no one would have known all of the other things that were going on behind the scenes coming home when you know your husband's left and all of his belongings are gone mm-hmm. and He's leaving. He's, he's abandoned you yeah. like your dad did. Yeah. Um, and yet you've got to go on the air and hi, I'm D.D. Sharp. You mm-hmm. don't know what just happened to me today yeah. um, because uh, viewers don't want to know all that kind of stuff unless it's like gossip. Uh, they don't want to know. They want to see you show up, come on the air, do the news, do your job. Tell me what's going on in the world around me. And, you know, move on So two questions
1: leap to mind. Uh, we've kind of covered virtually everything now. Um, one is um, does anyone that you're working with are they aware of any of this or is DD is sharp is DD sharp the person who's at the station <laughs> and Milsey is the person who has this separate life? And, and then the second question I guess I have is is and this is for this is for people listening, particularly if you're pastors or in churches, and that mm-hmm. is um, thinking through. Um, I, I often ask the que- this question on our campus, which is, do we pastorally prepare people who are ministering in churches to one be sensitive to and aware of the kind of situations that you're describing? And then two, are churches in a position to be of help, or does the person have to go through their life doing the best they can, negotiating that space on their own? Uh, so I guess what I'm asking in a backhanded way is your Christian story, which my understanding is is that your, your uh, initial impulses for Christian faith came from within your family. And uh, and then it moved into a direction where it kind of took hold, so. Uh Put that all together for me, if you can. Easily. Okay. Easily.
2: Number one, no. People at work were not aware of the double life. Okay. They saw D.D. Sharp show up. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them would learn that there was a person called Millicy, uh-huh. <laughs> and that was certainly who got the check at the end of the day, mm-hmm. was Millicy, because that's who cashed it. Yeah. Um, the church, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I look at this and I say, there were spaces in my life... Um, where the church was kind of an up-and-down thing. Mm -hmm. My parents, when I grew up, did not go to church Mm -hmm. on a regular – we just prayed over our food. Mm -hmm. That was about it. We had a beautiful white Bible that mm-hmm. sat in the foyer, open to the twenty-third Psalm, and it was not to be touched. Mm. So that's all we, we just looked at it. It was mm. beautiful. Um, when my parents separated, and I ended up with my uh, great uh, grandmother and my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was a staunch Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and my grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh wow! So I went from this. I called her Grandma Moses. Mm-hmm. I went from my great grandmother saying, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three and." And then I'd go to my grandmother, who I call her Ruby, Ruby mm-hmm. Lee, because she had two personalities, mm-hmm. so it seemed. But my grandmother was like this Jehovah's Witness who said, the Trinity doesn't exist. No, not father and father, son. She's confused. Uh-huh. But so I grew up confused.
3: Oh, wow. But
2: yet I was in the church all the time. Jehovah's Witness, you're in church on Sunday. Then you've are uh, you got Bible study at your home on Tuesday. then we had church again on Thursday. And then we were out in the field on Saturday. Hmm. So I'm just being churched all the time through the Jehovah's Witnesses. But getting two very different um, messages. Two very different messages. Oh, my goodness. And so that caused a lot of confusion. And when I got to be a teenager and my dad and my step, Mother weren't going to church either I was like yay mm-hmm. no more of that stuff mm-hmm. because at that point church was stringent mm-hmm. um, Jehovah's Witnesses you don't get to um, I'm not trying to dote on, on the religion but I'm just saying you don't get to celebrate birthdays mm-hmm. there was no Christmas at my house with my grandmother mm. there was just like you know just you can't do things, you can't participate in sports, you can't do this, you can't do that. So it was like, this is too stringent for me. I don't mm-hmm. want to have anything to do with religion. Mm-hmm. So when I got to be a teenager, I was like, don't talk to me about the church. I don't want to know about all that because mm-hmm. I can't have fun. I can't do, live life. I can't enjoy myself. I can't even have a birthday. And so even in spaces when I met people who were, um, they weren't just religious, they were God-fearing people. Um, there's... a um, Family in my book, my best friend from college, I call them the Glories, Mm -hmm. but that's not their name. That's Mm -hmm. their name in the book because they were glorious to Mm -hmm. me in my life and helpful to me. Um, They had offered at one point for me to live with them, but Mm -hmm. I was like, no, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to make me go to church and I'm not going to be, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So what in essence it did, Dr. Bach, it made me land in a space married to a man with a pact. And this man was an atheist. Mm -hmm. He did not believe in God at all. So, I went from <laughs> all of that to marrying mm-hmm. someone who doesn't believe at all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then when I divorced him and I married the second guy, he was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is, I really never, ever had like that stable, um, christ-centered um, faith that I needed in my life to be the person that God planned for me to be as a woman of god.
1: yeah, i actually I actually wonder. Um, how many churches, even well-intentioned churches would be prepared to uh, understand and uh, understand the world that you're living in and also understand even how to begin to think about ministering and being of help. Uh, and And so I think that's a challenge for the church.
2: Well, you know, what I see right now in the church, As I see, there are a lot of women who are like me. Some Mm -hmm. of them are unchurched at this point for some of the same things I just told you. Mm -hmm. So I think what has to – I don't have the remedy for it, but certainly in this book, as I'm writing about Aware, a journalist's journey to find uh, divine purpose out of dysfunction, I'm looking at Aware, too, to look at how the church – could have helped. It would have certainly helped me to know my identity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: An identity in Christ is very important for a person. Mm-hmm. You need to know that you're created in God's image. Mm-hmm. And then you need to know that you're beautifully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. And you need to know that God has never left, He will never leave us. Mm-hmm. He's always there with us. These things became freeing for me. Reading Romans 6 through 8, it was freeing for me to learn that God loves me. He loves me so much, He gave me His He gave son from for me mm-hmm. you know these kinds of core uh, uh Christian uh just I just say just just things that people need to know to free them to be free of sin to be free of of um, the lives they may have lived to be able to live a life for God it's important for them to know these core values of being a Christian and I think some of those things were lost along the way. I didn't have an identity Mm -hmm. I was Millicy, I was Dee. Dee, I was a daughter who was you know abandoned I was was all of the sin Mm -hmm. but I wasn't I'd never been identified as a person who could be a saint, and I never saw myself as that. And so I was one of those persons who would put it off. Well, when I get right, I'll come to the Lord.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you don't have to do that. So you can come the now. The
1: obvious question with all that is: So how did it? Ha- how did it happen that God invaded your life?
2: Um, Read the book. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I will give you my heaven-on-earth experience that I have told people, and hopefully we have time. It's very quick. Um, I was – In my eyes, a successful news anchor Mm -hmm. in Charleston – I'm sorry, in Columbia, South Carolina, um, was fast moving up the ladder to become maybe a major – I'd been in Charlotte, which was like a big market, but I wanted to be in the bigger markets, and I was on the fast track to do that. Um, Went to work one day. Um, as work would have it, you never know what you're going to do in the course of a day as a news anchor. You get the assignment in the morning, You right? get an assignment in the morning, and yep. you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know whether you're going to be in a helicopter doing marijuana eradication or whether you're going to be somewhere uh, busting down a door to you know, some uh, raid. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to be doing. And so um, that day, I just went to work. Beautiful November day, just thinking I was going to go cover a story. Um, ended up on a rural road with – My photographer, who was – you've probably not thought about this reading the book, Mm -hmm. but he was a seminary student who had dropped out of seminary, Hmm. and here I was – I'd never met this guy before. He was a new employee to the station. Mm-hmm. This was our first time working together. And I was telling him how I had felt a call to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. So we're in the car having this conversation about seminary and God and why we're running and this kind of thing. When all of a sudden, another car out of the blue just came over, whipped into our lane, spooked my driver, and caused the car to flip. Mm-hmm. The news van is flipping in the air. Some people say six times, some witnesses say eight. All I remember is seeing the windshield of the car onto the ground. The ground is through the windshield. And then flipping back up in the air. And in that time, I screamed Jesus. Mm. I was Jesus, Jesus. I knew not to call on my father. I knew Mm. not to call on my mother. There Mm -hmm. was nothing they could do. Mm -hmm. They hadn't been able to do anything before. Right. But I called on the name of Jesus. Mm. And in doing that Some ideas started coming to me and I'm gonna be able to slow it down for you, but for me it was very quick in that car as this car is just flipping and banging up against the concrete and going. So this
1: happened while you're spinning around in the air. Spinning around in the
2: air in this car accident. I said, Lord, is this how you're gonna take my life? I don't even know the driver of this car. He's a stranger. And just as quick as that thought came to me, this thought came, That's your brother in Christ. Hmm. You know him. And so I began to bargain with the Lord. Well, I haven't even done everything I need to do for my kids. I'm a single mother. I haven't gotten their uh, insurance straight. And just as quick as that thought came, double indemnity. The kids are going to get paid twice over for your debt. I went, oh, my gosh. I said, well, Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for all the places I've been. Thank you for all the people I've met. And thank you for all the things you allowed me so to do. So this is this is the
1: proverbial, your life is passing before your Flashes. eyes.
2: Just like people say, wow. I saw the flashes, wow. nothing, it was wow. all going. Wow. But I knew enough to just be thankful, be mm-hmm. grateful, because at any moment, it could be over. Right, right. A semi-tractor a trailer could hit us. Right. We're going from a two-lane rural road into a major car accident where we're flipping up and down from one side over to the other side <laughs> through mm. the median and everything. Wow. And in that time, as I'm just thanking God in this hallelujah, take me Lord moment, I remember hearing a melodious angelic choir singing to me three words, God's Got It.
3: Hmm.
2: All of these different voices and all these different melodies and all of these different tones, and I just began to be encased, almost like it just encircled and encamped me. Hmm. And I just, just got caught up in that moment. It was hmm. good. It was all good. Take hmm. me. And just then, I remember the car ending up on the side of the road headed in the opposite direction, and the driver of the car saying, Didi, Didi, we got to get out, Didi. When I came to, I saw smoke. I began to panic because I realized this isn't a dream. This mm-hmm. isn't hallelujah. You just survived a car accident. You 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 got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I panicked. I tried to get out. Um, I got, they say, I jumped through the passenger side window, mm-hmm. rolled down the hill through mm-hmm. a ditch, got up and ran down the road. Mm-hmm. The only thing I remember now is I remember a woman and a man, two Caucasians. They were married, running. Um, they were paramedics from Shaw Air Force Base. Mm. The accident had happened right in the front of the facility, and they were running behind me, and I remember them coordinating how they were going to get
3: me. Hmm.
2: She was uh, on the radio, black female Hmm. running southbound down 220, whatever the highway was, and I remember him telling her, I'm going to pass her, and I'm going to bring her back to you. Get ready to catch her. Mm -hmm. I remember
3: that. (laughs) they were
2: coordinating it, and so that's what they did, and they got me to the ground, and when I got down on the ground, I was just flailing because I was making angels in the sand. I was Mm -hmm. talking to God Mm -hmm. because I was telling him, I heard you. Mm-hmm. I heard the angels. Thank mm-hmm. you. And they said, ma'am, stop failing. You've got a gash to your head mm-hmm. and you're bleeding. And the more all this, you, you know, you need to calm down. Let us help you. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know that I was trying to talk to God. Mm-hmm. I'm doing angels in the mm-hmm. sand saying, Thank you, because I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. I'm supposed to be out of here.
3: Yeah.
2: So, long story short, I end up at the emergency room on the gurney bed, and I'm looking up into the lights, and I'm crying, and I'm just saying, God, I can't believe I'm here. My head is just throbbing, I'm throbbing, and I'm saying, did that just really happen? Were there angels really singing to me? Just then, this maid was walking up and down the hall. She walked into the room, and I thought, oh, gosh, I survived a car accident for this crazy woman who'd been walking up and down the hall to come in here now and kill me, but she didn't. She stood over me, and she was crying. And she said, Ma'am, she said, I don't know why you're here. I know I cleaned up this room 30 minutes ago, and it's time for me to go home and get off this clock. She said, But the Holy Spirit told me to come in here and tell you something. I don't know what it means, but I got to be faithful to the Lord. And she's crying. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, What is she going to say? And she said, The Holy Spirit told me to tell you, God's got it. The same three words from this woman in the flesh I'd heard spiritually in that van from those angels singing those words to me testifying that God's got it. Mm. And so that is what put me on my path. I told the Lord that if he allowed me, I wasn't bargaining with him. I just said, if you allow me to, I will do what you have for me to do. I'm in seminary. Mm. (laughs) I'm learning the Lord. I'm doing what he allowed me to do. Mm. And I'm telling my story for his glory. Mm -hmm. In my culture, and I can't speak for all black people, but we're often told to get over it, mm-hmm. to be strong, um, to not tell the past. We're, we're told to forget it. Um, to do this is seen as kind of snitching or whatever, you know, in the mm-hmm. culture, in my culture. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying this if someone's not willing to step up and say, hey, I had a really tough life. This is something indicative of a lot of black women. We have to overcome so many things um, to be so many things to so many people that we can oftentimes end up splitting who we are Mm. when we don't know who we are. Mm. And so that was what was happening to me. And that accident that day took away Dee Dee Sharp. And it set the stage for Millicie to walk back in. Hmm. And that's what's been happening over the last few years of my life. That accident happened over 10 years ago. Hmm. And here I am, a living testimony of God's goodness and His grace. And I've had similar experiences, at least three in my life like that, Hmm. that I have no doubt in my mind God is, He exists. He is good, he is merciful, he is grace, and we are blessed as Christians to have a relationship with him. And woe is the one who doesn't know that. So our job, Dr. Bach, um, is to go out and help people in these spaces and places who don't know who God is because they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. They don't have an identity. And I think the church could could do that by – sometimes we tend to tell the, the stories but when we've got really great spiritual leaders of a church, we'll find that their whole life has been a testimony of God. And so they may have challenges. I'm not saying they don't, because the Lord says we will have trials and mm-hmm. tribulation. But either they're not telling the dirty stuff or, or they don't have it to tell. So somebody has got to be willing to say, hey, I'm a testimony. Yeah. Um, I'm not an expert. But as Dr. Burns here at Dallas Theological Seminary told me years ago, Dr. Lanier Burns, love, love, love him,
3: mm-hmm.
2: he said, Millisee, you don't have to be an expert, just be a witness. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a witness. The biblical narrative is full of dysfunctional stories. We know that. But that's God's story. Mm-hmm. And he tells us that through that, he is able to work through our lives and give us a testimony for him.
1: Exactly. So. Exactly.
2: <laughs> Well
1: Melissa, our time is, is gone. In fact, it's more than gone, but that's fine. Uh, the, uh, thank you for the gift of sharing uh, what God has done in your life and uh, with everything that it, the, all the trauma, et cetera. I said. We, we've called this uh, a life of an African-American woman because as I've said, your, your story and elements of it are, are unique and certainly the intensity of it's pretty intense. But the kinds of things that you've been through are not atypical and um, and I think it helps all of us to understand how uh, a significant portion of our community um lives and what they go through, and to ask the question, how can we, as people who are ministering to neighbors, who are called to love neighbors, who are called to care about neighbors, how can we best uh one be aware of what's going on around us, and then two, Think about what it takes to step into that space and, 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 uh, and try and, and care for people who, in some cases, have been left totally on their own. Uh, and so thank you for taking the time. To Absolutely.
2: This. Thank you for having I'm me. Glad to do it. Mm-hmm. We thank you
1: for being a part of The Table. We hope you'll join us again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.